All right, church, we're going to be in uh, Galatians chapter 3 today. So go ahead and, if you've got your Bibles handy, uh, go ahead and turn to Galatians 3. Amen. All right. Nice to see everybody this morning. Listen, I'm going to start reading right away. So uh, let's open up and we're in Galatians 3. When you're there, say amen. amen. Father, we ask your blessing, Lord. We ask your blessing here, Lord. We ask you to, to bless us, Lord, our ears, our minds, our hearts, Lord, that you would reign us in and bring us together in your love and divine uh, providence, God, that your grace would shower us this morning, Lord, that we could uh, listen with ears to hear, Lord, that we would see in these words and the text with eyes to see and hearts to believe the truth that you are here to tell us today, God. Uh, Lord, we ask you to invigorate us in the Holy Spirit, Lord God. Make us alive, God. Help us. Help me, Lord, to communicate your word to your people in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? That's a really good question that the Lord asks and one that we're going to tackle here today. That's going to be the, the bulk of our time. Uh, we're going to deal with this verse and with these with that, because that's, that's basically what this teaching, um, what, is, what it's uh, rooted in, what it's founded in. Let me ask you only this, verse 2. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does He who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. Incredible, incredible, incredible. Interestingly, uh, interesting to see uh, that Paul, <clears throat> in his letter here to the church at Galatia, is, is saying that, that God preached the gospel to Abraham. Is, is that novel to, to us this morning? That, that the gospel existed, that there was good news, even in the Old Testament times, that God was teaching to his people that led them to faith. This is pretty good stuff here, and so we're going to go through some of that here today. Now, Paul has, a very, uh, has very strong words of wisdom to impart to this church um, in Galatia. He wants for them to know that it's not by works that one can be saved, but through faith. As Abraham was a man of faith, he was saved by the grace of God through faith, even in the Old Testament. The grace has always preceded the law, preceded works. Grace has always been the way that God saves. We are the descendants of Abraham and the children of the promise. And uh, since Abraham was this man of faith, those who are considered his children are those children or the children of the promise by faith. It's through faith. When God promised that Abraham would be the father of many nations, that they would be numerous in number like that of the stars, he meant it. Do you believe, church, that God means what he says? I mean, I, I do. <laughs> I do. And I'm glad that he means what he says. Amen? I'm glad that he comes through. 
that the promises he make, he, uh, the promises he makes, that those things they, they come to pass, they happen, because God is a good God and God's not like us. God doesn't say things and then just not do them. You know what I'm saying? Like some of us do, all of us do at times, right? God is faithful. He is just. He is righteous. He is perfect. He gives perfectly, and He also fulfills promise perfectly. Now, the children of the promise are those of Abraham, uh, and we are those children through faith. Do you know that? We are the children of the promise through faith. This is not of works. It's not by works. It's not through works that we are the children of Abraham. Through fa- it's through faith. It's through faith. Uh, Genesis 15, 1 through 6. Listen to this. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you're able to number them. What a question, right? Number the stars. Anybody in here able to number the stars? Think about what that means in terms of what God's telling Abram. His descendants will... Okay, let's go on. Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Wow. And he believed the Lord. Wow, he believed... He believed the Lord, and he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. So he believed, and that belief was counted to him as righteousness. Anybody know another name for another word for belief? Faith. His faith caused him to be counted righteous in the sight of God. Just so we're clear, for those who may not have read this before, God changed Abram's name to Abraham later on in Genesis 17 when he was 99 years old. So yes, this is the same guy that we're reading about. Now, the name Abram, anybody know what that means? Well, I'll tell you. It means exalted father. What a wonderful thing, right? That's a pretty good one. I don't know how you can get past that. It's a good one. Why change it? Exalted father? I mean, golly, but then God changes it. And uh, even though it's a pretty good one, because the life that God plotted out for Abraham also meant that he needed to have that name changed because God was giving him a promise. He was making a covenant with him. And so he changed his name to Abraham. Now, the name Abraham means father of many nations or uh, father of a multitude. So because of the promise and the covenant that God was making with Abram, he changes his name to Abraham so that he goes out in his new name and lives out the promise of God in his life. And I want to tell you this morning, church, that God wants you to live out the promise that he's made to you in your life, that he has made a covenant, that you would be saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ, and that once you're saved, you would always be His, and no one would ever be able to pluck you out of His hand. He has made a covenant. He has made a promise. That once you're His child, you're always His child. Isn't that beautiful? Now, Abraham was very disgruntled and frustrated at this point, we can see, because he had no, no legacy. He's like, what, do you, what, what can you give me? I have no children. Nothing, in other words, nothing else matters to me. I've got no legacy. My family can't even go. This other guy that's in my... This is going to be my heir. Not my child, this guy, Eliezer. You know, I don't want Eliezer to be the heir. My son to be the heir is what he's saying, right? And God's like, listen, don't worry about no Eliezer. You're going to have your own child. And this is the covenant I'm making with you. Incredible. So God makes him a promise that he would never let slip through the cracks. God knew exactly what he was doing. And he knew that Abraham believed in him. He knew it. 
And Abraham was justified by this faith, and his children would be justified by faith. And this is Paul's point in bringing up Abraham in the first place. He's reminding them, Paul, he's reminding the Galatians about the message that they heard and believed because somebody has bewitched them. Somebody has come in and creeped in and preached foolish doctrine, doctrine that doesn't jive with the Scripture, doctrine that is heretical doctrine, heresy. It is an abomination to God when these heresies are spoken from the pulpit. He's reminding them about the message of the gospel. He's reminding them that no matter what the world and any other world religion says, we will never be justified by the works of the law. And we will never be justified by any work that we ever do. It is not our works that justify us. We are justified in the sight of God through faith. Through faith. By the grace of God through faith. Galatians 3.1, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. See, what Paul's getting at here is, in this verse, is, it's pretty serious. What, what he's saying is pretty strong, okay? He's telling them that they're foolish and that they've been bewitched. How many of y'all in here, let, let, let me get a show of hands, would feel good if, they, if you're being called foolish and being told that you've been bewitched? You've been tricked and you're being foolish. Anybody feel good about that? See, I don't see nobody's hands. And I'm leaving my hand down too. That don't feel good when you're told things like that, does it? But listen, what God does for us is God gives us the truth. God gives us the truth about who he is and how we should respond to him. Why? Because he disciplines those he loves. So it's because of the love of God that he teaches us the truth. Because of his great love. Y'all, I want to tell you this morning that when you hold back the truth about God, then you're not being as lovely as you possibly can. We should not hold back the truth about God to anyone for any reason. He asks them who's bewitched them. He uses the term here to suggest paganism with the word bewitch. Uh, it's a serious deal to Paul. Okay? We know that paganism was ripe during this time. Uh, back then in that area, it's still ripe, isn't it, in the world? Paganism, uh, worshiping false gods or many gods. And it's as if they were being influenced with pagan teaching when they're being told what he's about to unfold. He asks them if, if they remember who it was or that, it was that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified before their eyes. So Paul, what Paul's getting at here is, in other words, when he communicated the gospel to them, talked to them about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, namely, he says, the crucifixion. When he's talking about the crucifixion piece of the message he gave them, he's explaining it in this letter as if he gave them such a vivid account of the crucifixion that it was as if they were there when they heard it. So giving somebody such a vivid picture of the crucifixion and communicating the story to them and making them feel as if they were there at the crucifixion as they hear it. So in other words, not holding back the punches, not pulling back the story, not saying easy, soft things about the crucifixion, but but letting them experience it as though they were there and communicating it to them. This is amazing. And let this be a lesson to us that when we speak of the crucifixion, we shouldn't be afraid of telling the whole truth about it to whomever we speak with. We should not be afraid of that. We should try and explain it as if we were there because after all, what are we called but witnesses of Jesus Christ? A witness gives a testimony. Church, you have a testimony about Christ. You have a testimony about who He is and what's happened. You have a testimony about what He's done and what that means. You have a testimony. Don't be afraid of sharing that testimony. And we should want to know what happened and how it happened. The crucifixion should never be lost in our hearts and minds. And for this information, we need to go no further than the biblical account of the crucifixion. It tells us plainly in there what happened to Him. So read it and know it and share it 
Not only that, but we need to be sure not to believe the world when it tells us that we need to perform in order to be counted righteous. Church, you don't need to be you don't need to perform. You don't need to perform not to be counted righteous. You don't need to perform because your works cannot save you. And your performance, your best performance on your best day will still never save you. My best performance on my best day when I feel the best when I have the best knowledge, the best information, when the cloud is removed, when I, all this, it's still not good enough. And it never will be. I cannot be saved by my own works. We are not counted righteous because of our works, but because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. His sacrifice is the work of righteousness. And this is why Paul seems to be admonishing the Galatian church. He's calling their attention to the portrayal of the cross that he gave to them. Uh, evidently there were some who were trying to sway them away into the world's performance-based theology. The world will tell you over and over and over again that you, in order to be good enough, you've got to be good enough. You've got to be in order to be. It's all up to you and what you do. That's what the world will tell you. The world and its many world religions are works-based People can only be good if they do enough good, and if they are good enough on their own, then they can either enjoy some kind of afterlife or, or, or be absorbed into the universe and become one with the universe like in Buddhism. The problem with this thinking is that the Scripture teaches us in Isaiah 64, 6, listen to this, we have all become like one who is unclean. All, we have all become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. And then we read in Jeremiah 17, 9, The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately sick. Who can understand it? See, this is how we know of our own depravity before God and our own inability to work our way into salvation. None of our own works will save us because our hearts are deceitful above all things and they are desperately sick. And all of our righteous works are like filthy rags before the Lord because all of us who have become like one who is unclean and they will sweep us away, we will be swept away by our unrighteous deeds. We cannot ever be good enough on our own to get into the good graces of God because our good works, even all put together, even all lumped up, everything good that we ever do in our entire life, even if it was all gathered up into one bundle and we offered it up to God and said, Here, God, look at all that I've done. Can I get in? It will still never be good enough. And now this is where grace comes in. The very essence of grace is that it is undeserved. We don't deserve it. The goodness of God that we enjoy is undeserved. It is a gift that does not depend on our own work. It is a gift that does not depend on our own merit. Instead, it depends solely, solely on the love of God and His own choosing of His people. In a nutshell, salvation is always up to God and His sovereign will. Salvation is always up to God. But Paul knows well the ploys of the enemy and the works-based theology of the world because he used to live in it. And we learn through the reading of the Scripture that the misunderstanding of the law that the Pharisees had dealt primarily with a misunderstanding of the grace of God. They didn't understand grace. Their pride hid them from it. They didn't understand grace. Why? Because of their pride. Grace has always preceded faith in the law. God never expected people to be good enough to keep the whole law. Rather, because they couldn't, He wanted them to confess their sin, turn to Him, and be saved through faith. How? Because of His grace. Yes, they had ordinances to follow as it pertains to the written law. They had commands, laws given to Moses, and this was meant to show them that they needed God's help all along. It drove them, or it should have driven them to God 
It was able to help them with knowing that they were, they were to, to be separate from the rest of the world, the law. It was also uh, it was able to help them again with knowing that they were to be separate from the rest of the world in the way that they lived and in the way that they worshipped. But the religious elite, the priests and then the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes, they taught that it was this very adherence to the law that kept them in right standing with God. In other words, you have to obey the works of the law in order to be justified by God. You must do the work was their teaching. They were working to become righteous instead of working because they were counted righteous. They thought they needed to work for what God has always desired to give to His own, freely, without cost to them, out of His love. They wanted to work for it, but God desired to give it. This continued and got worse and worse as they lived on the earth, all the way until even after Jesus died, was raised, and then ascended to the throne in heaven. After Jesus, even, this is still going on. It's still going on today. But we see here that our own righteousness depends solely on God, His choosing, and not our own. So he's saying that they have been tricked, bewitched, that someone has come in with cunning and with craftiness to try and convince them That the death of Christ that was publicly portrayed to them was not enough. Somebody had bewitched them to think that Christ's sacrifice on the cross for sin was not enough to save. Because what they were teaching was that it was, yes, faith in Jesus and the works of the law. you got to believe in Jesus and obey the work of the law of Moses one of the main things that they used to teach at, during this time was that folks still needed to be circumcised. That the men still had to be circumcised. They had to do this in accord to be uh, right in right standing with God in, the, in, in accordance with the law of Moses that they needed still to have this done. But Christ's sacrifice on the cross was enough, is enough, and is the only work that will ever save. See, Paul was seemingly fed up with this heresy. He's telling them that they're foolish, that they've been bewitched, they've been tricked. And then he asks them how they received the Holy Spirit. Listen to verse 2. Let me ask you only this. Uh, uh, you know, the, the way that Paul writes this, the way the scripture is written, I love it. He's like, y'all, somebody came in and tricked you. Let, let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. All right, that's what he's, how he's getting at it here. Let me ask you this, all right? If that, okay, if, if, if what you believe, if that's what you're going to believe, then let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? You tell me. Did you receive the, the, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit? Did you, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? He's asking them. So by works or hearing with faith? Hearing with faith. Hearing what? Faith in what? Well, it's hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then faith in Jesus Christ. Remember also that Paul says this from Romans 1, 16 and 17. So how do we know that this is with gospel, hearing, hearing the gospel? How do, we, how do we know that? Well, listen. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now I want you to hear this. Paul, in verse uh, 17 there, he's not simply teaching that the righteous people of the earth live on the earth faithfully throughout their lives. Like the righteous shall live by faith, they shall live faithfully. That's not, yes, but listen to this. He's teaching the foundational truth by saying that the righteous shall live eternally by faith. Listen to it that way. The righteous shall live by faith. In other words, the living that the righteous do is because of the faith in Jesus Christ. There is no life without faith, in other words. It takes faith to live. Not works. Faith. Paul's teaching is consistent, y'all. So why, why is the hearing with faith so powerful? Well, because of what's heard and then how we respond to what was said. The gospel and our response... The gospel 
and our response to it. The very power of God saves those who hear this message and believe what they've heard. God's power is at work in the telling of the gospel and in the heart of the hearer as they hear the gospel spoken, that message preached. There is power in His grace. There is power in the message, the gospel. And then there is power in the faith. But they've turned their eyes and ears to the world's teaching to some respect. And they are in danger of showing with their lives that they need to work in order for God to keep them saved. And this is a great danger. We don't ever need to think that we need to keep on being saved over and over and over and over again. And by our own works, nonetheless. If we're saved by God's grace then God's grace keeps us saved. Amen? God's love has never and does not currently depend on your own work or your own goodness. The very essence of the gospel teaches us that we are saved through the power of God and His power alone. When we end up believing, even if only for a moment's time, that our own goodness is what keeps us saved, after being saved, then we've given ourselves a sort of phantom power, one that does not exist and has never existed. We don't have this power. I don't have the power to keep myself saved, y'all. And let me, newsflash, you don't either. Okay? None of us do. That's not something that we, it's not... It's not the will of God to give us the power to save ourselves or to keep us saved. It's like a mirage in the desert. The famished soul without the truth looks too, looks to, to, to far out fantasies that will never be seen in reality. The person who works to, uh, works to stay saved has now gotten into the driver's seat in life and said, Hey, I got this now, God. I got this. Hey, thanks. Thanks, God. I got this now. Why don't you jump in the back seat? Let me drive. That's the person who was saved by grace and then works to keep himself saved. The reason God does the whole thing that leads us to faith is because it's for his own glory. If God is going to be glorified, then he has to be a part of that equation. He has to be. Because there is no glory for God without righteousness. And there is no righteousness without the work of God. We cannot possibly glorify God by ourselves without His intervention and without His love by grace. Our own selfishness and our own inability hold us back from being able to do anything righteous for God without Him. And think about the, the, the ugliness going on in the world today, right? Anybody? Anybody? I mean, man, the world's really at peace right now, isn't it? It's so hunky-dory out there. No fires anywhere. No arsonists running around trying to blame global warming. You know what I'm saying? We know that ain't true. Quite the opposite. This world is divided. It is chaos everywhere. Everywhere we look. Right? Right? And even if it's not like, you know, people and, and, and the, the tribulation of the world that we have to, to go through, golly, man, another tropical storm that we're having to prepare for here? I'm like, man. There are things going on everywhere. But the ugliness going on in the world today and the wickedness that has gone on since the beginning is real. You know that people are bought and sold, even today, children for sexual gratification. Sold for money, for power, so that their organs can be harvested for the wealthy. Wickedness exists in this world today, church. And we have to be willing to say something about it. We have to speak it. We have to say it. We have to teach it. We have to preach it. 
Tell me you don't believe that this world needs Jesus. We need Him. People are killed even in this world because of what they believe, because some wicked leader somewhere wants to be the only one to make the decisions on what to believe and who to believe in. In China, they're taking down crosses and putting up pictures of, of, the, of uh, President Xi or, or Mao. They're, they're doing these things. People want to be God. Genocides, slavery, prostitution, drug addiction, theft, murder, lies, deceit, manipulations, backbiting, gossiping, all these things from people who are also somehow able to work themselves into the grace of God? You see how that doesn't make any sense? These things go on, and these are the same people, many of them, who believe in a works-based theology that if they can be good enough, then they can get to heaven, or they can get to an afterlife, or they can be absorbed into the universe. This is the wicked heart of man without God that we see every day of our lives. Some of these things we have maybe even played a role in. Let me tell you something, church. If God doesn't call, then we will never hear the phone ring. Let me say that again. If God does not call, we will never hear the phone ring. If we don't get a call, then we cannot possibly answer it. We will not and we cannot we may even think that our own self-preservation kicks in maybe, and, and that's why those of us who come to Christ come to Him because, man, my life matters a lot to me. Your life matters a lot to you, doesn't it? There's a reason why God said love God with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength and love others as you love yourself. Love for the self is, that's a big deal, isn't it? We should love ourselves. We are created in the image of God. We are image bearers of our holy God, all of us. Isn't that amazing? And I would say that this is in part accurate. Self-preservation kicks in. But our ability to see our depravity and our inability, uh, so our ability to see our depravity and our inability to be saved in and of ourselves is not of our own making either. It is the work of God through the call of God that Jesus talks about in John chapter 6. We are first called by the Father. That's the whole initiation thing. The first thing that happens in terms of salvation is the Father's call. We're called by the Father. Our own depravity and inability drive us to the one that we believe has the ability because he called and we heard that call. We heard that phone ring and we picked it up and answered it. Again, if there were no call, we would still be blinded by our own wickedness and stuck in the world. Now, because of his call, we hear and then we come to him. But when we come, we don't come with all of our good works saying, hey, God, I, I mean, I've done some good things for you. I've I done some good things for my family, God. Look at all these things I've done. Look at all this money I've given to charity, God. We don't come to him with our hands full. We come to God empty handed. With nothing of our own. Depend only on him. For salvation. But the ears to hear and the heart to believe are only possible for the believer because of God's grace. God sees you and your inability and then he calls you by name and you suddenly and mysteriously soften up to enough to realize that this voice you hear is the voice you've always yearned, you've always wanted to hear, you've always needed it's music to your ears when you hear it, and it's honey on your lips when you respond to it in faith. Now Paul goes on, Galatians 3 and verse 3, Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? So now we're getting the brunt of the message from Paul to the Galatians. He wanted them to know how they were saved, 
how they were justified. It is by faith. He asks them several times in a row uh, by rewording the the question over and over again to them. In verse 4, by asking them if they've suffered so many things in vain, he's basically asking them if, if indeed they have faith. So have you suffered these things in vain? No, are these things, these tribulations, these experiences that you have, this suffering in vain? Is it in vain because you don't really believe? In other words, was it all for nothing? These things that you've gone through in your life, these experiences you've had with God, is it for nothing? Can we ask ourselves the same question, church? Have we been working simply to become pleasing to God so that he will hold on to us or so that he could save us in the first place? Do you work to stay saved? In your life, think about it. Are you working to stay saved? Have we been justified by faith just to revert back to working for God to become good enough for Him? In this Christian life, we have to come to the point where we realize that the work that we work for the glory of God because of His grace and because of His perfect love. We don't work to be saved, and we don't work to, to stay saved. We work for the glory of God because we have been saved. We work because of salvation, not for it. It is out of love that we work, not so that we can be loved. Out of love. These people that Paul is talking about here and, and in Galatians 2, 11 through 16, you can read that on your own time, are people, not that this is not your time, of course it is. These are the people that he calls the Judaizers. The Judaizers. Or the circumcision party, as they're also called. These are people who preach a different gospel than Paul and the rest of the apostles. They preach that you must have faith, but also that you must be justified by the works of the law as well. And they add to the gospel in this way. And this is absolutely, absolutely not permitted. Adding to the gospel is not permitted. Adding to the scripture, no, no, no. The truth is the truth and cannot be added to or taken away from. Expressly prohibited. Listen to Deuteronomy 4 and 2. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. In other words, you cannot create your own commands. We cannot do that as people. We cannot add to the message of God, the gospel of God, or the grace of God, as if though it needed to be added to in its perfection. Think about it. God needs our help. No, we need His. It's of great importance that we never add to the gospel by claiming anything but what it teaches. So back to Galatians 3 and verse 5. Uh, verse 5 asks a good question. Does, does, he sim- supply, does he supply miracles by faith or by works? Does any miracle in your life, church, let me ask you this, does any miracle in your life that has ever happened, any miracle in your life, does, does it, any of it, does it bear the evidence of something earned? If it did, it wouldn't be a miracle. It would be payment. The very nature of miracles is that they cannot be earned. We cannot work and receive anything from God because by nature our works are not good enough as we stand condemned and unclean in our trespasses. We need God. His miracles are because He's good, not because we are. After all, what, 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 what can the imperfect us offer up to the perfect that he does not already have? What would be required by our perfect creator from us who are incapable of doing anything good in and of ourselves apart from righteousness through faith? Verse 5 again, Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. 
The miracle of God in Abraham's life was not because of the work of Abraham. It was because of God's love for Abraham. It was because of the grace of God. Now I want to elaborate on this verse with yet another package of Scripture that's going to color it, explain it. Romans 4, starting in verse 1. Listen to this. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies, the, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one whom God counts righteous, uh, counts righteousness apart from the work, apart from works. Let me read verse six again. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? You all know the answer to that question? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. Quick break. Do you know that New Testament baptism is like Old Testament circumcision? It's the seal. Let me read that one again. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. That's New Testament baptism, y'all. You, you, you hear what I'm saying? You can go into Thessalonians 2 if you want a deeper understanding of that. Uh, Th- Thessalonians also, not Thessalonians chapter Okay. Uh, the purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but who are also but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised God was doing a work for all time and he was starting it back then and he was giving us a promise and he was doing it because of his grace and he was showing us that through faith we will be counted righteous We are counted as righteous because God deemed it glorifying to himself to call and save those who would believe. He saw it glorifying to create and offer salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. He shared the gospel back then and even in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3.15 when we... We hear the first gospel. Listen to this. I will put enmity between you and the woman. He's talking to the serpent here. God is. During the curse, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. In other words, God's got a plan. He's going to redeem you and the devil will never win. And this is the first good news that we ever get in all of human history. God saw fit to rescue us from the pit. While we were walking along its edge and then falling into its decay, he saw fit to glorify himself most by saving us while we were still dead in our trespasses. He saw fit to save those who had rebelled against him because of his great love, not because of their own work. He saw fit to call us to faith by his own grace, by completing the work of salvation all by himself. It was a promise that he gave to Abraham, a people of every nation and tongue, who would be his offspring. Abraham was promised a family, and he got one that still lives to this day. Look around real quick. Just look around. Seriously, seriously, look around. This is that family. 
You are the children of Abraham. You are the children of the promise. It's unfathomable to me how good God is. You see, this is this is the gospel and the children of the promise that we read about. This is the grace of God and His perfect love lived out through the history of humanity. I pray that all of us in every place this morning worship and bow down to give praise and honor and glory to our King. Let me close with this. Revelation 7, starting in verse 9. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with loud voice, with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their face, on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might. Be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you, Lord, that for this promise. We thank you for the children of promise, God. We thank you for the church. We thank you for the eternal blessing of salvation by grace through faith, not by works, Lord. We thank you for teaching us, Lord. Lord, if if we are saved, God, that your grace covers us and that we don't reside in and we don't belong in any kind of works-based religion or theology, but we belong in this theology, your theology, Father, that teaches us that your grace alone will save us through faith in Jesus Christ alone. thank you God we thank you for doing what we could not we thank you for giving so freely and so lovingly God to us we praise you and we honor you this morning God because of your goodness God Lord please help us to love like you love Help us to forgive, Lord, like you forgive. Help us to walk righteously, Lord, as you walk. Help us to be obedient to your commands out of your great love, Lord, because of your love for us. Help us, Father, to realize who you are, what you've done, what you will continue to do, and the hope we have in glory and eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, we ask you to heal our land. Father, we ask you to glorify your church to help us, Lord, to glorify you. Father, we ask you to heal our country. We ask you to keep all these tropical storms in the water, Lord, or just dissolve them all. Just do away with them. We can, we, can, we can handle that too. God, help us, help us, Lord. Help us, Father, not, not help us, Father, not to, not to go outside of ourselves and get back into the flesh, outside of ourselves in the spirit and back into the flesh, Lord, all of a sudden to start causing and, and, and play a part in the political division in this world. And in America, God, help us not to play politics with our lives, but to worship you with them. 
God, I pray you would lead your people back to you. Father, we need you, Father. In Jesus' name, Father, we need you. We need you here in Aransas Pass, Lord. Lord, there are homeless, Lord. There, there is poverty. It's, it's ripe. People are stricken, Lord, with, with poverty. There's, there's drug addiction. There's prostitution, Father. We need you, Father. Help us, God, to be a light in this community. Help us with the resources. Help us with the people. Help us, Lord, with everything that we need in order to get your work done in the kingdom because of your love. Help us to work for you out of love for you, God. Not so that we can perform for you, but because we love you. Help us, Father, and heal our land, Father. Oh, God, we need you. Father, I pray for all of our, our police, Father. Our law enforcement, Father. Our public servants, Father. Our political leaders, Father. Father, I pray for pastors. I pray for pastors, for ministers of the gospel. I pray that we would be true to your word, Father. I pray that we would preach the true gospel. Oh, Father, we need you. Please heal our land. Please heal our families, Lord. Father, there are families broken in pieces. Husbands and wives separated, Father. Children. Father, bring things. Bring things to completion, Father. Help us to love you with our lives and with our families, God, in our families. Help us to be forgiving, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.